Hey all, welcome back to the Real Life Pharmacology Podcast. I'm your host, pharmacist Eric Christensen. Thank you so much for listening today. As always, go check out reallifepharmacology.com. Grab your free 31-page PDF on the top 200 drugs. Great little study guide if you're taking pharmacology classes or a great little refresher if you're out in clinical practice. Uh, Just some of the most important things you're going to come across in real life. Uh, as well as things that certainly show up on uh, pharmacology and board exams throughout your career as well. So uh, again, go check that out, reallifepharmacology.com. Simply an email uh, will get you access to that, and then we'll get you uh, info out when we have new things available, such as a podcast like this episode. All right, let's get into the drug of the day today, and that is cefiroxime. Brand name of this medication is Ceftin. And it is a second-generation cephalosporin. So if you remember with cephalosporins, kind of in general, the higher the generation you go up, uh, it tends to maybe have a little bit more coverage and maybe a little bit more gram-negative coverage. Cephaloxime being a second-generation cephalosporin, uh, really the most common coverage we're going to have here is gram-positive infections. Um, You can think of it along the lines of, or at least pretty similar uh, to something like amoxicillin, for example. Uh, Mechanistically, cephalosporins work similar to uh, penicillin antibiotics as well. So they inhibit bacterial cell wall production, and they do this by binding penicillin binding proteins. And ultimately, uh, this blocks the final step of uh, peptidoglycan synthesis. And that peptidoglycan is a part or basically what forms the bacterial cell wall. So if the bacteria can't form its cell wall, obviously that's going to cause uh, death of the uh, bacteria, which is what we're trying to do when we try to treat infections here. Dosing with this medication... So we've got two dosage forms. There's an injectable formulation, uh, and there's also uh, oral tablets. Uh, Interestingly, there used to be an oral uh, suspension, but that has uh, been taken off the market last I had checked. So uh, the oral tablets anyway, uh, dosage forms 250 milligrams to 500 milligrams, Uh, For most indications, it's going to be 250 uh, to 500 milligrams twice daily. And some of those indications include uh, Lyme's disease, bite wound infection, uh, ear infection, pneumonia, strep throat, uh, UTI. Uh, These these are all kind of generally down the road uh, indications in that Uh, we often have drugs that we're going to use first prior to uh, using cefiroxime. It's kind of a second, second, third-line agent uh, for a lot of these indications, um, but certainly does have some some coverage, particularly on the gram-positive side of things like I mentioned before. Adverse drug reactions, so we've got uh, diarrhea with any cephalosporin with any penicillin antibiotic that's probably the most common adverse effect you're going to see along with that we can certainly have some gi upset some nausea and that type of thing uh, and then wanted to mention uh, risk of fungal infections 
um, particularly uh, females, yeast infections, that is something um, that's kind of a generalized risk with uh, antibiotics altogether. Um, they kind of kill that normal bacterial flora, or at least can kill some of that normal bacterial flora, and that can allow for the growth of other organisms, uh, such as, as fungal infections. Uh, typically, that risk goes up as the length of therapy increases, and I think that kind of makes sense as well. Uh, the longer you're kind of, you know, killing off those bacteria, the normal flora, uh, the longer uh, the opportunity for something else to grow there and essentially take over. And uh, in the case of something like a, a yeast infection or thrush or something like that, uh, those fungal infections uh, can take over. Uh, bad taste has been reported um, with this uh, medication. Uh, and I believe, if I recall correctly, the oral suspension um, was really bad tasting and I I didn't get the details on why that did get pulled uh, did get removed from the market um, but I have a hunch it had something to do with uh, maybe not many people uh, liking to use that medication because uh, the taste was poor but uh, if I recall correctly I think that's what it was but um, don't quote me on that but anyway uh, there can be certainly some some bad taste associated in the mouth associated with this medication uh, seizure disorder risk or increased risk of seizures. Uh, this has been reported. I would say it's really extremely rare. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't put it on the level of like a bupropion or a tramadol or anything like that. Um, but I think I just wanted to mention it to make sure it's noted uh, here as well. And then renal function issues, again, very, very rare. Usually it's in combination with other factors uh, that have caused uh, insult to the kidney as well, um, but issues with uh, uh, renal dysfunction have been reported as well with uh, cefiroxime. All right, let's briefly touch on kinetics because there's a, an important interaction or a couple of them that I want to want to get to, um, but dietary interaction-wise, food actually increases absorption. Uh, the package insert uh, indicates that we can take it with or without food. The obviously, this is I'm talking about the oral medication, of course. So, in general, I've typically I typically recommend uh, to give most antibiotics with food. There certainly are exceptions to that, and some that you know maybe we shouldn't quite so much, or particular foods I should say with cefiroxime oral. Uh, I've typically recommended to, to give it with food, particularly if there's stomach upset. Uh, this could help increase uh, the percent absorption as well there. From a kinetic standpoint and elimination standpoint, uh, this medication is excreted in the urine primarily. So uh, what that tells me uh, is if you've got a patient with uh, CKD stage 3, stage 4, stage 5, uh, you're definitely going to want to keep tabs on that and make sure that the dose isn't too high. Uh, the general cutoff is 30 mils per minute. So if you've got a patient uh, with renal function below that, uh, you're probably going to want to do some dose adjustments there and reduce the dose uh, downward. Above 30 mils per minute, uh, usually standardized dosing is, is going to be fine for most patients there. 
monitoring parameters. Obviously, if we're treating an infection, we're going to monitor patients. Are you getting better? Is the fever going away? Or, you know, whatever symptoms associated with your infection, are they improving? Um, that's one of the most important things we can do uh, when we educate our patient is to say, hey, ensure that that you should be getting better over the next day, two days, three days. Uh, you should be improving. Otherwise, we need to, to reassess and readjust potentially medications, uh, make sure you're taking it appropriately, and, and so on and so forth. So uh, with that, monitoring the infection, of course, um, short-term monitoring of any labs, that type of thing, we're typically not going to do anything. I mentioned renal function, so you're, you're probably going to want to have that, that baseline, particularly if you know somebody may have issues with um, poor renal function, just so you can make sure the dose is correct. But after starting the drug, you've got somebody on it for five, seven, ten days. We're probably not going to monitor any lab work um, with cefiroxime. Now, with long-term use, you know maybe the risk of uh, renal issues come into play. Uh, CBC may be recommended in that situation, and maybe hepatic as well. Um, depending upon what's what's going on with the, the patient there. All right, let's take a quick break from our sponsor and we'll wrap up with drug interactions. If you're in the market for any pharmacist board certification study materials like BCPS, NAPLEX, ambulatory care, geriatrics, BCMTMS, or others, go check out meded101.com slash store, S-T-O-R-E. Got a great list of resources there that have helped thousands of candidates pass their board exam. So uh, go check that out. Support the sponsor. Uh, in addition, if you're a nurse, med student, anyone else, uh, we've got Flippin Pharmacology flashcards. It's a great resource. You can find those on Amazon. I'll put a link in the show notes as well. And a new release is coming very soon. Uh, if it hasn't been released already by the time I release this podcast, uh, we've got a pharmacology crossword puzzle book. So there's lots of uh, over 2,000 clues are in this book. So it's really kind of a unique way to study pharmacology. Uh, and uh, I know a few of the people I've, I've showed it to have really uh, found it helpful too, uh, to challenge their knowledge and uh, do it in a fun kind of way. So uh, again, I'll... Um, put the link in the show notes when uh, that book becomes available as well. All right, let's wrap up with drug interactions. So we've got H2 blockers, PPIs, and antacids in general. So they can raise the pH of the stomach, and this drug's absorption actually goes down as the pH goes up. So bottom line, uh, drug like famotidine, omeprazole, um, generalized antacids, when they raise that pH uh, using these medications, it's going to reduce the absorption of cefiroxime and potentially increase the risk of treatment failure. Uh, other uh, drug interactions, so I mentioned um, the renal function issue. So if you've got uh, patients that are on nephrotoxic drugs, there is a small potential that cefiroxime could have uh, some additive issues uh, with nephrotoxicity. So drugs like uh, aminoglycosides, for example, furosemide, those medications 
um, could potentially add to the risk of renal impairment. Again, extremely rare uh, to have renal impairment from cefiroxime by itself, um, but that risk may increase a little bit as you add uh, other medications uh, on board there. And then last but not least, I did want to uh, mention elevations in INR with warfarin. So possibility of increasing uh, INR, which is obviously going to increase bleed risk uh, when using warfarin. Typically, we're just going to monitor that by checking INR, and obviously we can monitor the patient as well for uh, bruising and bleeding and, and things of that nature as well. The nice thing about this medication being primarily eliminated by the kidney is we don't really have to worry about SIP enzyme interactions here. So that is definitely a nice thing. And with that, I'm going to wrap up the podcast for today. If you enjoyed this episode, found it helpful at all, uh, please do me a huge favor, leave a rating review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Uh, of course, support the sponsor, meded101.com slash store, as well as some of the books on Amazon, Pharmacology Crossword Puzzles, uh, and flipping Pharmacology flashcards are great little resources to have uh, that help uh, grow this podcast and keep it free and available for all to benefit from. If you want to reach out to me, got suggestions, comments, uh, mededucation101 at gmail.com. You can track me down on LinkedIn as well, Eric Christensen, PharmD, BCPS, BCGP. Thank you all for listening today, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.